You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. We don't hear much from the book of Leviticus in worship, and we also don't hear too much from the book of James either. So let us continue listening now for a word from God from James chapter two. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, And if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. Why to the other one who is poor, you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was evoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you can say that you have faith but you do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O come, Holy Spirit, source of all life. As we listen for your voice, let the same mind be in us that was in Christ. Awaken our hearts open our ears, and sustain us with your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Some moments during worship are more memorable than others. And one in particular that stands out for me happened quite a while ago now, but it was Christmas Eve 2014 at downtown Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. I'd been attending this church for the last couple of years, and it was small enough where I was familiar with most of the members, as well as several of the homeless men and women who would attend there on a regular basis. And on Christmas Eve night, one unfamiliar man clearly stood out. He was a tall and burly guy with this large beard and wild hair. And I remember him distinctly because while the rest of us were calmly singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, 
he began to wander down the center aisle towards the front of the sanctuary, pulling crackers out of his shirt pocket and throwing crumbs up into the air as he strolled. I watched as several longtime members made uneasy eye contact with each other. What should we do? How should we react? Should we react? Our discomfort with this, visible, with this visitor was palpable. Now, thankfully, by the time the hymn had ended, this man had found his way to the exit doors at the back of the sanctuary and strolled back onto the streets where he was probably more comfortable than he was inside that sanctuary. At Triune Mercy Center in Greenville, South Carolina, which was right down the street from where I used to live, they were much more used to such visitors. Now, for those of you who don't know about Triune, it is, it is a, a church that is really focused on homeless outreach. And at one time, at least, it was about 50% homeless um, participants and 50% community members. And their former pastor, Deb Richardson Moore, once told a story about a time when she was in the middle of preaching her sermon, when she began to get drowned out by the sound of very loud snoring. And now Deb, who's fairly comfortable with such interruptions in this congregation, stopped her sermon and she looked over at the pew where the man was sleeping and she just said, would someone please wake him up? And then continued to preach as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. Clearly, some congregations are much better at showing hospitality to the poor, the homeless, the mentally ill, and the stranger than others. Our scripture passage from James this morning paints a vivid scenario of something that could potentially happen in any congregation, including ours, on a Sunday morning. Two very different strangers walk into a church. One walks in with nice clothing and jewelry, indicating that he's someone with wealth and status. This man has influence. If he chose to tie, that would probably help the church budget immensely. This is the type of man who is used to walking into the room and being noticed. The second visitor, on the other hand, looks like he might be staying on a park bench or sleeping at the mission. His clothes are ratty, his hair is unwashed, and he has an unpleasant odor. He looks out of place. This is the type of man who spends much of his life feeling invisible. And so James poses the true test. Are the people going to pick favorites or will both visitors be received equally? James's letter is written to several of the early Christian churches. And you can tell from the tone of his letter that James knows his audience and he expects that they will show partiality towards the wealthy and important man. He knows, or at least he assumes, with whom they feel most comfortable and with whom they feel uneasy showing hospitality. 
Last week, Alan in his sermon talked about the radical hospitality of the church and what it would look like to extend the fence. And so James pushes us a little further to ask who that would be the people first prez would struggle to welcome and embrace. Often it's our human tendency to gravitate towards people who look like us or to try to associate ourselves with people that we aspire to be more like rather than to deliberately push ourselves outside of our comfort zones. And for James's audience, it is the impoverished person who causes the most dis-ease. Now working in the area of missions in the church, I can understand why. And in fact, I just had a conversation with somebody about this this week, that the poor can often be difficult to love. There are reasons why they don't always seamlessly assimilate into our society, whether that be mental health issues or a lack of social awareness or troubled stories of where they have come from. Sometimes they just require a lot more energy than we are always willing to give. But I think another reason why the poor can make us uncomfortable is because their very presence reminds us of how unpredictable our own good fortunes can be. When we encounter a person who's experiencing physical poverty, we cannot help but be confronted with the reality that comfort and protection from life's hardships are not a given. Theologian Henry Nouwen claims that each human being has a place of poverty. Now, maybe that's a lack of money or resources, but it could be a lack of emotional stability or a loving partner or community or self-confidence. And so maybe we avoid the poor because they remind us of our own poverty. They draw attention to those places in our lives where we need God to dwell the most. The poor remind us that we are not invincible and that we're not self-sufficient and that really that we're not God. And that can make us uneasy. James's letter brings a challenge, not just for members of the early church, but for us as well. How willing are we to confront our own poverty and dependence on God? Now James calls out the people who are showing obvious favoritism towards the rich. And I know that there are plenty of examples of when we do that in our lives and in society today. But I also want to acknowledge that in some cases, and for some people, that the opposite may actually be true. I had lunch with a friend who's passionate about social justice, and part of her career actually involved educating people around these issues and connecting people and organizations in the community to do that work together. And although she loved what she did, one day she confessed to me and she said, I struggle because it's harder for me to love the white, wealthy, privileged person than it is to love the man sitting in the detention center awaiting a trial for murder, she said. She said, it's easier for me to see God in the trenches 
than it is to see God in church on Sunday mornings. And I had just been reading James 2 when she said that to me and her words stuck with me. For some of us, it might be easier to favor the poor or the underdogs or the most vulnerable than it is to love those who seem to live charmed lives or have a sense of entitlement. So James draws attention to these two extremes of God's image who dwells in the poor, yet humble person who risks embarrassment by walking through the sanctuary doors, and God's image dwells in the rich and wealthy but possibly prideful person who is used to being catered to. The first person might be easy for us to overlook or dismiss because they make us uncomfortable. And we could be tempted to call the second a hypocrite. But James calls us to embrace both without bad-mouthing or demonizing the other. Oof. I know that for me, that is a never-ending challenge. A few weeks ago, Alan and I had lunch with Chris Story and Mitch Kennedy, our city manager and assistant city manager, and a few others to talk about homelessness in Spartanburg. And right before that meeting, Chris and Mitch had spent the morning discussing plans for the development of our new baseball stadium downtown. So during our conversation, I kept thinking about how incredibly difficult their jobs must be every day. Because not only do they have to be concerned with the economic well-being and growth of our city and with making the right connections to make sure that there are funds for all of these exciting plans, but at the same time, they are attentive to the needs of those who are sleeping on the street every night. And in fact, they know the man by name who sleeps on the courthouse steps every night. And so every single day, they live in between these two extremes, all while people are complaining to them day in and day out. And so I left that meeting feeling really proud of the way our city tries best, its best to not pick favorites among its people. And I hope that people can look at our church and feel the same way. The pastor of that downtown church in Nashville where we had the out of place visitor on Christmas Eve would preach frequently from the pulpit about the importance of loving the person selling the homeless newspaper on the street corner just as often as he preached loving the wealthy CEO that walked through the door. And I still remember having conversations with him about this, this interesting tension. Because as is maybe the case for many seminary students, it was for me, I was in a time in my life when I was feeling a little bit impatient and cynical about the church. And I was explaining to him, who was my supervisor at the time, that I felt like there was this disconnect from what the church was preaching and what they were actually doing to make a difference in our community. And as I was sharing this frustration with him, he just looked me straight in the eyes and said, 
Everyone needs to be loved. And so years later, I still remember those words. Everyone needs to be loved. We are not called to choose who to love and who to leave out, but called to love all people. And to do so means that we have to admit for ourselves who for us is the most difficult to love. We all pick favorites. We might not all pick the same ones as our favorites, but inevitably we are gonna have biases for or against certain people for one reason or another. And no matter which group or which person it is, we're all gonna fall short of our actions reflecting a faith in Christ who calls all to the table. And so who are the people that you show favoritism to? Who are you more inclined to accept more readily? And who are the ones that you struggle to love as Christ loves? When it comes to loving our neighbor as ourselves, where do our actions fall short of that faith that we profess? I love that the sacrament of Holy Communion reminds us that every single person who comes to the table is welcomed and received in the same way. Every single person is given that same message of grace. Our God sees all of our broken places and our poverty, yet still loves each of us equally and unconditionally. And that's just an amazing truth to wrap our minds around. And so in response, may we look for small ways that our own actions can reflect a vibrant faith in a God who never picks favorites. By God's grace, may it be so. Let us pray. O oh, gracious and loving God, help us to see others as you do and grant us mercy when we fall short. Open our hearts to love and embrace everyone and especially those who we struggle most to love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.